sermon passage this morning is uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Um, and before I read it, just to give you just a little background, um, in the passage, in the section immediately before this, uh, we, we read about the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus, and Peter, and James, and John um, are up on this mountain alone, and they see Jesus transfigured. Uh, they see Moses and Elijah uh, with him, and, and a voice from heaven, God's voice from heaven, said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Um, it's, this, it's a beautiful passage, very moving, showing us who Jesus really is, uh, that he really is, that he is God, that he is uh, the Messiah. Um, and immediately after this passage, they come down from the mountain, and, and they come to the scene that we're going to discuss today, the scene we're going to see in our passage. Um, so just keep that in mind as we, as we read today. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, that they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the, fa the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's look once again to God and ask him for help. Father, we, we come to you this morning as sinners. We come at, from different places uh, this week. Some of us, some of us are, are struggling uh, with parenting, struggling in our marriages. Some of us are struggling with the difficulties of life. And that's weighing heavily on our minds. Some of us have had a great week. Some of us are delighted to be in your house with your people this morning. And we thank you for that, Father. Some of us are struggling with doubts. We, we don't even feel like we can pray like this father prayed, help, help my unbelief. But Father, I ask you to meet us where we are this morning. Father, we ask that you would help us as we study your word, that you would speak to us from it, that you would show us the gospel, show us Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, if, if, you, if you've picked up anything about me as I've been preaching and, and 
getting to know you guys the last few months, it's probably that I watched a lot of cartoons. One of the things that you picked up is I watched a lot of cartoons growing up. Um, I think I've mentioned several cartoons uh, from, from up here while preaching, so I'm not going to change that today. I'm going to mention another cartoon here. I think, I, in fact, I've already mentioned this particular cartoon. Uh, but when I was growing up, we used to, we used to love the Charlie Brown specials. And uh, the, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown was one that I, I didn't watch it as much as maybe me mentioning it every sermon uh, would indicate. Uh, but I did watch it from time to time. And uh, I, re- always, I always really liked Linus in the Charlie Brown specials. You know, Linus is, seems like a really solid guy. But uh, in the Great Pumpkin special, we see Linus sort of in a moment of weakness, right? Linus is, he believes, he'll, it's sort of a silly story. You know, he'll go out in the pumpkin patch and the Great Pumpkin will come and give him, you know, goodies or presents or something. Um, and he convinces Sally, Charlie Brown's little sister, to come out in the pumpkin patch with him. And, and the, the Great Pumpkin will only come to the most sincere pumpkin patch. Uh, you know, it has to be. You have to be really serious. You have to be very sincere in order for the great pumpkin to come. And um, sorry, I always forget to do this. Um, and um, so later, as the night wears on, um, Sally gets discouraged, and Sally wants to leave. So Sally leaves, and as she's leaving, Linus he calls out to her, "You know, Sally, don't leave, don't go. If the great pumpkin comes, you'll be sorry." And then he realizes his mistake. He said, "He said if, not when." I meant, I meant when, not if. But then he, he realizes it's too late, and he, and he says, I'm doomed. Um, and so, you know, it's a silly story, and, and we, we kind of, you know, poor Linus, he had a rough night. Um, but, you know, as I watch that, as I think about that story, I mean, I think a lot of times we as Christians can sometimes approach Jesus like that, right? We, we approach Jesus sometimes like that we have to have this, this perfect faith. That, that we have to have, um, you know, we have to be ultra sincere uh, or else he won't, he won't hear our prayers. Uh, we have to be, you know, we have to have perfect faith or else he won't, uh, he won't be with us. Um, he won't take care of us. Uh, we, we would never say it out loud like that, but sometimes in our hearts, I think, we kind of feel that way, that we, we need this perfect faith to approach Jesus or he won't be with us. And I think we've, sometimes we can kind of redefine faith to mean something like, Perfect psychological certainty. You know, we, we think of faith in those terms. Perfect psychological certainty. Um, and if we fail to hit that mark, we, we feel guilty or we feel like, like we're a bad Christian. Um, if we have doubts, if we have fears, if we have weak faith, uh, we feel uh, like we're uh, a bad Christian, like we're missing the mark, we're missing something. So today we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about doubt, we're going to talk about faith uh, we're going to look at Mark 9 as we, as we consider these things. And we're going to have three points today. Point one, the problem with doubt. Point two, the source of our doubt. And point three, the cure for doubt. So let's, let's um, look to this passage and, and talk about these things. Um, first, the problem of doubt. The problem of doubt, I think, is that it's, it's common. We, right? I mean, we, we experience doubts. If you are a Christian long enough, you will have times where your faith feels, you feel like your faith is weak, where you have fears, where you have doubt. Um, it's a pretty widespread thing. I would, I would say even, I would go as far as to say that doubt, having doubt from time to time is, is part of the normal Christian experience. It's something we all go through. Um, hear me clearly here. I'm not saying that doubt is good. I'm not saying doubt is healthy. You know, I'm just saying it's something that, that if you're a Christian long enough, I think it's something that we experience. Kind of like a cold. You know, a cold or a stomach bug, it's not healthy. It's not good. Uh, but it's something that's fairly common. It's something that we, we experience from time to time. If we look at this passage, we see that everyone in this passage, other than Jesus, either has flat-out unbelief or some sort of doubt, some sort of 
some sort of uh, weak in faith. So let's just look uh, quickly at, at these, uh, the characters in this, in this story, Mark 9. First, we see the scribes. And these, these guys, they're just sort of flat out, you know, have flat out unbelief in Jesus, right? Um, we first see them, they, Jesus and a couple of disciples come off the mountain and hear that the scribes are arguing with the rest of the disciples. Um, now, if you read the Gospel of Mark, you know in, in Mark 3, 6 that the Pharisees, the scribes, they've already decided that they don't like Jesus and that they want to destroy him. You know, they're already looking for ways to destroy him. They kind of follow Jesus and the disciples around. They'll ask questions. They kind of criticize them. You know, why, why are your disciples not washing their hands when they're eating? Why, you know, they're kind of watching Jesus very closely. Um, they, and so you can sort of imagine this scene, how it unfolds. This father is bringing his son with an unclean spirit to Jesus. Jesus is not around right now, so he goes to the disciples. You know, these disciples are having trouble. They can't cast out this, this unclean spirit. And so the scribes sort of swoop in, and they're kind of arguing and, and criticizing the scene. And it's, everything's kind of, kind of getting out of hand. They're, they're seeking to make, you know, they want to make these disciples look bad. They want to make Jesus look bad. And so they have sort of this flat-out, bold, kind of hostile unbelief in Jesus, right? Uh, next, we think about the disciples. Look at the disciples here. Um, the disciples, everything seems to be pretty good with them at first, but a closer look, I think, reveals some, some troubling things. You know, at the end of the passage, or, or earlier, they're not able to cast out this unclean spirit. At the end of the passage, passage they say, Jesus, why couldn't, we, why couldn't we cast out this unclean spirit? You gave us authority to do that earlier. Why, why, wouldn't we, why weren't we able to do this? Um, and look at what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so it, it appears that these disciples had been sort of trying to rely on their own power, trying to rely on their own, their own strength, their own abilities. Instead of praying, instead of coming to God in prayer and saying, help us cast out this, this unclean spirit, they were sort of trying to do it on their own. Um, and I think prayer we see is, is here is, is not about you know, eloquence. Prayer is about our helplessness. Prayer is about appealing to God. For help, because we know that we need help from him. So the disciples, I think, show some doubt. They show some weak faith by sort of trusting in themselves, not trusting in God for this to do this miracle. And finally, sort of the most obvious case of, of doubt, of weak faith in this story is the, the father, right? Because he, he basically flat out admits it, right? He flat out admits that he has some unbelief. Um, let's look again at, what, at the, the scene involving him in verses 21 through 24. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to the child? He said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So this father, he, he sort of pulls a Linus, I guess. He says, you know, Jesus, if you can do anything, then, then please help us here. Um, he, he sort of he sort of he doubts uh, Jesus' ability, and you can imagine why. I mean, the father is—he's stressed out. The the disciples, the scribes are now arguing. The disciples weren't able to do anything for him. You know, there's a crowd of people gathering. I mean, this is a chaotic scene. I, I sort of imagine, and so you can imagine why he's just sort of—he wants this—he he wants his son to be healed, but he he just doesn't know if this is going to be able to happen. He just doesn't know if Jesus will be able to do it. Uh, which leads to the climax of the passage, I think, which is his confession. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. This man seems to have, I think he seems to have faith and doubt sort of side by side in his heart, which I think a lot of us, uh, that, that describes a lot of us sometimes. 
And Jesus even confirms that there's a lot of weak faith, that there's a lot of doubt in this passage. When in verse 19, he sort of surveys the scene, right? And what does he say? He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You know, Jesus sees sort of all this and sort of, um, you know, laments that there's so little faith in, in, in these people. But it's not just people in this passage that struggle with doubt, that struggle with weak faith. Actually, if we look throughout the Bible, look throughout the whole Bible. Think about, you know, Adam and Eve. We've been talk- talking about this some on Sunday evenings. Adam and Eve, they sort of doubt God's word, you know, when they, when they listen to the serpent. Uh, we think about Abraham and Sarah, right? They're, Abraham and Sarah are strong man and woman of faith, and yet God says, you know, your son, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to come through Sarah. What happens? They doubt. They doubt that, and so they try to use Hagar. Well, let's get a son this way. Let's, they, they sort of doubt God's promise. They doubt that what God has said. Uh, Moses has doubts that when God first approaches him in the desert, Moses has doubts that God can use him. Um, Gideon has doubts that God can use him. Uh, Samson, another judge, I mean, his lifestyle sort of exhibits a lot of unbelief, I think, a lot of unbelief in what God has said in God's word. Um, and we also think about the New Testament. Uh, I feel bad for Thomas. Thomas, he's got this bad rap, you know, he's doubting Thomas. Even though all the disciples struggle with doubt at one point or another, um, you know, Thomas is sort of the, gets the bad rap. But Thomas doubts, right? Peter, he denies Jesus. He has weakened faith. He doubts. Um, actually, if you look at, if you look at Mar- Matthew 28, the Great Commission, sort of a startling thing is revealed there. It says of the Great Commission that they, they went out, Jesus is about to ascend, he's about to give the Great Commission, and his disciples are with him, and it says, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, they've already seen, they've seen Jesus rise from the, from the grave, and still they're, they're, some of them are struggling with doubt. And this happens, I think, to us as well, right? It happens to people in the Bible, it happens to us. Uh, you know, we doubt God's word. We doubt, you know, we can doubt our salvation sometimes. We can doubt God's promises. We doubt when something bad happens. We doubt, we can have doubts about whether God will take care of us, whether he'll truly be with us. Um, here's a, a famous pastor, J.C. Ryle, from like about 100 years ago or so. He, he said this once. He said, Among believers, we find few indeed in whom trust and doubt, hope and fear do not exist side by side. Um, another theologian pastor, John Calvin, said, Nowhere is there perfect faith. We are all partly unbelievers. And so if you're a Christian in, in this fallen world long enough, you will experience, you'll experience doubt. You'll experience weakened faith. You'll experience fears, okay? Um, this is sort of the problem with doubt, is that it's, it's something that we, we all can experience from time to time. So let's look next at the source of our doubt. What is the source of our doubt? Well, obviously... We know, first off, that we're, we're sinners, right? We're sinful human beings. We have fallen hearts. Uh, that's going to lead us to doubt. We know from the Bible that, that Satan sows doubt, right? He sows doubt in the church. Um, and we see these sort of things in, these, in this passage as well. Think about the scribes. These scribes, they have hard hearts. You know, they are willfully not believing. They are willfully rejecting Jesus. They don't want to hear the truth. Uh, Jesus tells the Pharisees in John 8 that they are, they are just like their father, the devil, Right? He uses very strong words with them. They have very hard hearts. They don't want to, to believe. The disciples, you know, they, they have they've given to this temptation to trust in themselves rather than to trust in God, rather than to seek his power, rather than to seek his help. Something I think we're all tempted to do uh, from time to time, to trust ourselves to fix things instead of first going to God in prayer, first seeking his, his help from the beginning. Um, and then the Father, again, we see, you know, this father here, he, he's, he's a sinner, right? Just like us, just like everyone, he's a sinner. So he has a sinful heart, which is going to be given to doubt. 
And we, we know this guy does have some faith, right? I mean, his son is really sick. His son has this unclean spirit, and he has probably heard about Jesus, and he is look, he's looking for Jesus. That's what he's doing. He is acting in faith. He has brought his son out. You know, where is this Jesus guy? He can help my son, I think. So he obviously has some faith. He's looking for Jesus, seeking him out. Um, he can't, can't find him. You know, he goes to his disciples instead. Um, but I think also what we'll see in this father is something that we can all sort of identify with, that I think a lot of his, his doubt comes from the fact that, yes, he's a sinner, but also the fact that he's experiencing difficulty in life. He's experiencing some suffering. Um, I think suffering is suffering and pain in life can often uh, lead our sinful hearts to doubt. And I think that's the case with him. Look, at, look closer at this description of what he, how he describes his son. Let's look at verse 17 again. Um, someone from the crowd answered Jesus, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to, do, to cast it out, and they were not able. And look, skip down to verse 20. They brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked, him, asked his father, How long has he, this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. And so we see that this son has, has an unclean spirit. And this is a really serious, it seems to be a very serious thing. This spirit, it makes him mute, you know, it makes him convulse, it makes him foam with mouth and grind his teeth. But this spirit wants to kill his son, right? It says he, it throws him into fire to, to burn him. It throws him into water, presumably to drown him. Um, how long has he had this? He's had this most of his life. He's had this from childhood, from infancy. He's had this, this unclean spirit. You know, think about that. Think about all the different things that they had probably tried. He's probably gone to the priest. He's probably, you know, sought. There's been other supposed miracle workers he's probably sought out. He's gone to doctors. He's done everything, and nothing has made his son better. Um, you know, I, 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 we're, we're, this is a good week in the, in the Breeden household. Uh, this Saturday is our little Addie Pearl's first birthday. Um, it's exciting, exciting day. So we're almost there. We almost survived a first year of parenting, um, barely. Um, it's, been, it's been good. There, there's, there is so much that I don't know about parenting. It's not even funny. We could fill an entire Wikipedia about what I don't know about parenting, okay? Um, but here's, there's one thing I do know. There's one lesson that I definitely picked up um, this first year of Addie Pearl's life, and that is this. There is nothing scarier than when something's wrong with your kid, Right? Parents? Yeah. Uh, there's nothing scarier than when something's wrong with your kid, especially if it's your first kid, and especially um, if you don't know what you're doing, like me. Um, there's nothing scarier than when something's wrong. A few weeks ago, Addie had a little stomach bug, and I, I could have been, like, committed, probably. I was so worried about her, you know. Is she okay? Is she drinking? Is she, is she going to be dehydrated? I was, I was just, like, freaking out over something that, in the grand scheme of things, is really not a huge deal. But, you know, first stomach bug, first baby, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so, you, 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 you parents know what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, but, but imagine this. I mean, this guy's son, I mean, Addie Pearl had a little stomach bug, and I was, like, panicking and freaking out. But this guy's son has an unclean spirit that wants to murder him. It wants to throw him into fire, throw him into water. Um, you know, that, that's terrifying to think about, Right. Um, and now, I don't think any of us have really experienced that sort of scenario that this father has. Uh, but we've all, experienced, we've all experienced difficulties in life that have caused us, that have probably caused us some doubt, caused us some, some fear. Um, 
I, hear, I heard a sermon several years ago by this uh, Russell Moore, a proud Mississippian um, from Biloxi. He is the, he's a pastor and also the dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and I, I remember hearing him preach a sermon, and he, he shared the story in a sermon that he and his wife, you know, for many years had difficulty having a baby. Had, eventually they did, they adopted some sons, and they eventually had some sons of their own. But for many years, they had trouble. They had multiple miscarriages, a lot of difficulty. Um, and he, taught, he told this story about, you know, after multiple miscarriages, one time, after the most recent one, they went home. Uh, he, he put his wife to bed, and he got into the car to go to the pharmacy to get some medicine or something. And he gets in the car, and he hears on the radio that some pop star had had, like, her second or third child or something. And he said, he didn't say it with his mouth, but he said it in his heart. He said in his heart, what kind of a God would give this vulgar pop star multiple babies and give my godly wife multiple miscarriages. What kind of a God would do that? Now, obviously, obviously that was a sinful thing to think, right? And he acknowledged that. He, later, he, he confessed that. He repented of that. But I think we can understand, we understand that. Even if we haven't been to that specific situation, we can understand that kind of thought, that kind of feeling, right? When something bad, when something in life, something difficult hits us, we can sometimes doubt God's promises, right? We can sometimes doubt his goodness. We can sometimes um, doubt that he's going to take care of us, right? And this is sin. This is something that's serious. We should confess that. We should repent of that, right? But for, perhaps for you, it, it wasn't um, what happened with the Moors. Perhaps for you, it, maybe it was the death of a parent that, that struck you particularly hard. Perhaps it was years of praying for someone to be converted and not seeing that prayer answered. Or perhaps uh, maybe seeing cancer in someone that you love dearly. Perhaps for you, it's, it, it was, you, you've had trouble with rebellious children. Or perhaps you, you're struggling with fear about what your children are going to be like when they leave the nest. Or perhaps for you, it's financial strain. Money has been tight for years, and yet your debt still isn't any smaller. Or perhaps for you, it's, you feel like you're stuck in a job that you hate. Perhaps for you, it's, it's marriage problems. Uh, these problems that that affect us. There's there's plenty of these are just a, a sampling of some of the problems that can affect us in life. But whatever, perhaps you've been in this particular situation. You've had something difficult like this affect you, affect your family, and someone comes up to you very well intentioned and has said to you something like, you know, I know you're going through a tough time right now. Just know that God's going to take care of you. God's going to provide for you. God is with you. You know, and, and you say, of course, with your mouth, you say. Amen. I know that's true. I know God's going to take care of you, take care of us. But in your heart, maybe you think, "No, He won't." I mean, I've I've done that before. Um, I'm sure many of you have done that before, where someone trying to comfort us, you know, it just sounds like it sounds like cliches. It sounds like you know, and we, and we don't believe it. And the, the truth is, at that moment, we're struggling with weak faith. We're struggling with doubts, right? So, what is the source of our doubt? The source of our doubt is a sinful human heart combined with the problems, the, the difficulties of living in a fallen world, right? These things that affect us uh, week in and week out, this pain that comes from living in a fallen world. Okay, so we've seen the problem of doubt. We've seen uh, the source of our doubt. Let's, let's talk about the cure for our doubt. Let's look, focus on the Father again in this passage. Does Jesus make this Father get all of his doubt and faith issues sorted out before he helps him? No. Does Jesus say to this Father hey man, you, your faith is pretty weak here. You don't, you don't even really believe I can do this. 
you really just need to get that taken care of before I can heal your son. No, no, he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus loves doubters like us. Because Jesus died for people who doubt, for people with weak faith, people like you and like me and like this father. Let's look at, look at verses 22 through 27 again. Uh, the end of 22 there. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So Jesus gently rebukes this father. He's saying, you know, hey, everything is possible. Anything is possible for the one who believes. And the father admits that he has doubts. He cries out to Jesus for help. Jesus, I believe. I do believe, but I also am struggling to believe. Help my unbelief. Help my doubts. And this should be our cry. This should be our cry, too. Because you see, the, the cure for doubt, the cure for doubt is running to Jesus, admitting that we have doubts, admitting all of our doubts, all of our fears, and asking him for help. You see, the cure for doubt is actually looking to Jesus in faith. Um, Christianity often seems kind of backwards, right? Kind of upside down from what the way we normally think of things. What, you know, the Bible says, you know, Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you must lose your life. If you want to be first, you must be last. Um, if you, you want to have stronger faith, admit that your faith is weak. Admit that you need Jesus' help. Are you struggling with doubts? You have to cling to Jesus in faith for your doubts to melt away. So it always seems sort of backwards than what we would expect. Because you see, faith grows through commitment. Um, Let me ask you something. You think when this father and son, when they walked away from this scene that day, son completely healed, evil spirit gone, when they walked away, did this father have stronger faith or weaker faith? He had stronger faith. Did he have more doubts or did he have fewer doubts? I'm sure he had fewer doubts this day. Because you see, his confession, his confession to Jesus that I have unbelief, help me, help my unbelief. His confession reveals loyalty and trust in Jesus. In order for his faith to grow strong, in order for his faith to grow stronger, he had to exercise it, right? He had to reach out. He had to come to Jesus in faith and ask for help, ask him to help him. He knows he can't fix the situation. He knows that Jesus can. He's looking outside of himself, looking to Jesus for help. Uh, earlier I mentioned that we've, we can kind of confuse faith sometimes, that we make faith into like perfect psychological certainty, right? We kind of turn it into that. But faith is not perfect psychological certainty. Faith is committing to and obeying Jesus despite all of our doubts and our fears. Faith is not the complete absence of doubts and fears. Faith is clinging to Jesus, looking to him, obeying him, trusting him despite the fact that we have doubts and fears. You see, faith is not saying, I have all the answers. I have everything figured out. I've got, I understand it all. Um, but faith is saying, I don't understand everything right now, but I'm going to trust and obey Jesus anyway. Faith is saying, I don't understand this tragedy that has occurred. I, I don't understand this difficult time that my family is going through. I don't understand this difficult time that I'm going through. But despite that, I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to obey him. And trust in Him. Um, actually, if you if you want to talk about what what it looks like to live by faith, you want to really study that. Look, read the book, book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Um, the book of Habakkuk is a great book. Um, actually, if you don't mind, just turn there really quickly. If you can 
Habakkuk is right after Nahum, right before Zephaniah, um, Old Testament minor prophets near the end. Um, and just let me give you a brief refresher on Habakkuk, if, it's, if you haven't read it in a while. Um, Habakkuk starts with Habakkuk praying to God, and he says, God, you know, all the people that live in Judah, all, all your people, there's so much sin going on right now. You know, aren't you going to do something about all this sin that's happening in, in Judah? And God responds to Habakkuk in chapter 1, and God says, yes, I'm going to do something about it. Um, I'm going to send the Chaldeans to come and attack and punish Judah for their sin. Well, that, that leads to another question uh, from Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, but, but Lord, the Chaldeans are way, way worse than we are. Okay, I, I think Judah has some sin and some problems, but the Chaldeans are like really, really bad. How, how can you use this evil nation to punish, you know, to judge your people, you know, who they deserve some punishment, they deserve some judgment for their sin, but how, how can you do this? You know, he, he's very concerned with this problem. And God responds, God says several things, but one of the things that God says is, the righteous will live by faith. That, that quote that in Romans 1, Paul gets that from Habakkuk. He says, the righteous will live by faith. And he doesn't really, God doesn't really explain all of his ways to Habakkuk. He doesn't explain all of the, this, this problem, this issue. And so what does Habakkuk do in chapter 3? He writes out this like song. He writes out this prayer, this hymn. You know, he doesn't have all of his questions answered. He doesn't have all of his fears assuaged, but he does, he writes this prayer, this hymn. So let's read the very end of Habakkuk, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Um, and this is what, this is what it looks, this is what it sounds like to live by faith. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So think about Habakkuk writing in this agrarian society, right? The, all of their economy depends on agriculture. And he's saying, if all of our crops fail, if all of our, if all of our herds die off, if, if the stalls are empty, I'm still going to rejoice and trust in the Lord. That's what living by faith looks like. Not having all the answers, not having an explanation for everything that ha- happens in our lives, um, but trusting God and obeying Him despite that. We all want certainty, but certainty comes after commitment. God calls us to have faith. He calls us to believe before we have evidence. Um, now, I've been talking a lot today about, about weak faith, right? About doubts and weak faith and how that is normal in the Christian life from time to time. Um, but it is not normal to live there forever, right? God, Jesus wants our faith to be stronger. He wants, he wants your faith to grow. He wants it to be, to be complete. He wants it to be strong, right? But the good news is he meets us where we are with our doubts, with our fears, with our weak faith. He, he calls us to bring our burdens and our doubts to them because he can bear them. Uh, that's what the, the passage on the front of our bulletin today. Jesus says, you know, you who are weak and weary, come to me. I'll give you rest. Um, Jesus meets us where we are. Um, but faith, I think, is like a muscle. The more you use it, um, the stronger it gets. That's why I love, uh, I love hanging out with uh, old ladies, right, um, and, and, and from church. There was this, when I was, when Shalane and I lived in Charlotte, there was this little old lady who, li- who went to church with us. Her name was Mary Marshall Young. Which, if that's not the greatest southern old lady name that I've ever heard, I don't know what could possibly be that. Mary Marshall Young. 
And Mary Marshall Young was, she was like one of those people that you meet that, um, you know, never down. I think when we met her, she was like in her late 80s. She actually passed away last summer, uh, right before we moved here. She passed away. We got to go to her funeral, and um, it was just, it was a, actually a very, you know, joyous occasion because she was such a saint, such a strong woman of faith. But Mary Marshall Young was great. She, she survived a lot. I think she was 90 or 91 when she passed away. She went through World War II. She raised three daughters. She survived, lived through the death of her husband, which was very difficult. Her final years, uh, she had a really rare form of cancer um, that she eventually passed away from. And so I remember when she was, like, really sick, Shalane and I would go sometimes. We're like, you know, we need to go visit Mary Marshall Young. We need to go, uh, um, you know, encourage her, Right. And so we would go, and, like, our purpose would be to go and encourage her. And we would, like, leave so much more encouraged than we probably, you know, encouraged her. Um, just because talking to her, even despite her cancer, despite all these things, talking to her, I mean, she was like the rock of Gibraltar, right? She's a little bitty old frail lady, but her faith was so strong. And I'm beginning to think, like, you know, why, why was her faith? Is it because she's this super Christian that, you know, way better than the rest of us? Maybe, that may be true. Um, but I, I don't think that's it. I think the reason is because she'd been following Jesus for like, you know, I think she became a Christian like in her 20s. So she'd been following Jesus for like 60-something years. And she had been practicing. You know, anytime some problem came up in life, she had been practicing going to Jesus over and over and over. You know, looking to him, um, crying out to Jesus for help um, in problems and difficulties. Um, and over that time of, of faithfully following Jesus for years and years and years and decades and decades, you know, her faith was strong. Um, you know, I'm always telling the youth when we, when we do our Bible studies that, you know, just like you practice, you know, uh, shooting free throws in the driveway, just like you practice playing the flute or, you know, whatever, what all the kind of things that you practice, you need to be practicing looking at Jesus, too. Because the only way you're going to be good at looking at Jesus is if you practice doing it every day. Um, look to Jesus. Go to, the, go to the Word. Read the Bible. Um, think about the Gospel. Pray. Go to God in prayer. Um, because when we're doing that every day, and when we're doing that when difficulties come up in life, you know, the more you practice that, the easier it becomes, the stronger your faith can get. Um, just to wrap up, one more little sort of illustration here just to conclude. Um, sometimes we, we get really, can get really worried about sort of you know, how strong or how weak our faith might be, right? We can get really concerned sort of with the quality of our faith. Is my faith strong enough? Is it, is it good? Is it bad? Um, so I just wanted to just give you a final little bit of encouragement here. Imagine two guys, okay? Imagine there's two guys who are out on like a frozen pond, okay? And there's one guy, he's standing on like the thinnest part of the ice. It's very, very thin, but he has really, really strong faith that this thin little ice can hold him up. Now imagine that there's on the other side of the pond, like the thickest part of the ice. And there's a guy standing over there, but he's, he doesn't have strong faith. He has weak faith. He has fear that he's going to fall through. Um, which, which of these guys do you want to be? Do you want to be the guy with really strong faith who's like standing on the thin little ice or the guy with kind of the weak faith who's standing on the thick ice? We, got, we probably want to be the guy on the thick ice, right? Um, the guy on the thin ice is probably going down. Um, the point of that little silly story is this, that obviously having strong faith is a good thing, but it matters more who your faith is in. What is your faith in? Uh, if you have strong faith in something other than Jesus, that's worth nothing. But if you have faith in Jesus, who's the strongest person that we can ever put our faith in, the strongest person we can ever trust in, if we have faith in Jesus, even if our faith is weak, um, that still will save you. Because what saves you is the object that you put your faith in, um, not um, how strong your faith is. But like I said, again, 
Jesus wants our faith to be strong, and he'll meet us where we are and help us when we uh, go to him. So just remember this. Jesus can handle your problems, all right? He can handle the difficulties of this life. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your weak faith. Um, But look to him. Cry out to him in prayer. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you that, you that you can handle all of our fears and our doubts. We thank you that you are a strong Savior, uh, that you can save weak sinners like us. And Father, we thank you that, that you give us strong faith, uh, but that you meet us where we are. So Lord, as we leave here today, pray that you would help us to look to you, help us to reach out to you in faith, to um, reach out to you, that you would, uh, with our doubts, and confess those to you, and that in time, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. Make us, uh, make us like rocks of Gibraltar, uh, just like um, Mary Marshall Young. Lord, we thank you so much for your, for your love for us, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.